If you have your Bible with you, go ahead and grab it and turn to 1 Samuel 7. I know you all have been in uh, Jeremiah for a number of weeks at this point. I was so glad to be here last week and hear John share from chapter 12. But we're taking a little break from that this morning and we'll be over in 1 Samuel 7. Now as you're turning there, I just want to express uh, how grateful we are really on, on behalf of my whole crew, how, how grateful we are to be here uh, with you today. Uh, this is this has been a long time coming, and God's gracious providence, I have been blessed really to track along with CPC, uh, really at each f- phase in the step along uh, the journey that you've been taking, uh, and it's a privilege to worship and to fellowship with you all, and we're just grateful to be here. In some ways, it's, it's very natural uh, for us because we've been praying for CPC since long before CPC ever existed. Uh, when Laurie and I uh, this is back in 2002 to kind of give you an idea. She's really not 19, by the way. Um, I'm not going to tell you how old she is, but she's not 19. Um, back in 2002 when we were students at USC, Laurie and I were at that time praying for a, a vibrant, for a dynamic uh, PCA church in downtown Columbia. And so we've been looking for this church for a long time, and, and we're so grateful that it's here. Uh, and we're really looking forward to getting to know uh, all of you, uh, every single one, I guess, you know, at, at some point. And, and so that means you're going to be seeing a, a good bit of us over the next few months as we begin the process of launching out into East Lexington. But for today, for today, we're in First Samuel together. That, that's where we're going to be. Now, now, over the last year or so, just to kind of set the table for why we're there, I have found myself uh, really not by my design, but, but for some reason in various capacities, teaching through the 11th chapter of Hebrews, whether it was uh, Sunday school classes or preaching series or just filling in at, at other churches. And they would, the, Hebrews 11 just kept being uh, the topic. And, and, and one of the names that stood out, if you know that, the roll call of faith, the list of examples of faith, one of the names that stud, stood out to me from that list and really captivated my attention was that of Samuel. He, he just sort of lumped in there at the end of Hebrews 11. And much of what we know of this guy is really uh, from his small role that he plays in the bigger part of, of some of the more known characters in Scripture. So even though there are two significant books that y'all have been using over the last months for your Scripture reading that bear his name, even though those two books are there, he really comes across as sort of a second tier a player in the whole thing. He's this faithful servant of God uh, who, who, who is used really to advance the story and the redemptive purposes, especially in the lives of, of King Saul and then King David. And I think that's why I'm drawn to him. I, I, I'm drawn to him because he's kind of a behind-the-scenes guy. He, he, he's not a reluctant leader. like He's not scared to jump in there, but, he's, but he also doesn't have to be the center of attention, and so I, I, I think I think we almost see his life told through the filter of other major characters, and I like that about him. And I think he paints a picture for us of the kind of leaders uh, that we are desperately in need of today. Uh, in, in our churches, in our homes, in our workplaces, he's an example for us of how God wants to see us, wants to see you and I engage. In the world around us. So look at 1 Samuel 7. I'm going to start with verse 3 and we'll go through verse 11. And Samuel said to all the house of Israel, 
If you are returning to the Lord with all your heart, then put away the foreign gods and the Ashtaroth from among you and direct your heart to the Lord and serve Him only. And He will deliver you out of the hand of the Philistines. So the people of Israel put away the Baals and the Ashtaroth and they served the Lord only. Then Samuel said, Gather all Israel at Mitzpah and I will pray to the Lord for you. So they gathered at Mitzpah and drew water and poured it out before the Lord and fasted on that day and said there, We have sinned against the Lord. And Samuel judged the people of Israel at Mitzpah. Now when the Philistines heard that the people of Israel had gathered at Mitzpah, the lords of the Philistines went up against Israel. And when the people of Israel heard of it, they were afraid of the Philistines. And the people of Israel said to Samuel, Do not cease to cry out to the Lord our God for us, that He may save us from the hand of the Philistines. So Samuel took a nursing lamb and offered it as a whole burnt offering to the Lord. And Samuel cried out to the Lord for Israel. And the Lord answered him. As Samuel was offering up the burnt offering, the Philistines drew near to attack Israel. But the Lord thundered with a mighty sound that day against the Philistines and threw them into confusion, and they were defeated before Israel. And the men of Israel went out from Mitzpah and pursued the Philistines and struck them as far as below beth This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, I want to thank you uh, for this day and for this time. I thank you for your word to us. And what I really pray now is, is, that, is that in all ways you would, you would move me aside, uh, that you wouldn't allow my stammering tongue, that you wouldn't allow my insufficiency, my inadequacy, that you wouldn't allow all of my shortcomings to stand between what you would say to us here this morning. And so I pray that you would speak by your Spirit, as we've heard, that through, through Pentecost power that you would speak this morning, that we might know you more. And I pray that in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, back on February 23rd of this year, it was officially announced that we would be leaving our current work and heading over into East Lexington to plant a new PCA church in the River Bluff, Corley Mill area. Now that's what East Lexington is. I had never heard East Lexington in my life until David, who based on the third thing that he mentioned about us, determined that he hated me enough to invite me along on this process. And so we we got together and had lunch and he said East Lexington. And I immediately said, where is East Lexington? Uh, Because I've never heard of North South or West Lexington, either. Honestly, I've just heard of I've heard of Lexington, and so he, he said Corley Mill, and then it was like, well, yeah, that's where everybody on the planet's moving. That seems like a good place to put a church. Within a couple of days of that announcement, Laurie and I were we realized that we were not fully prepared. Okay, for the onslaught of questions that that our dear friends and family would begin throwing at us. It was and it wasn't deep things. It was like, have you done this? And normally the answer was no, whatever that this was. And it was, have you thought about that? And, and it was, uh, uh, no. Um, good question. We just started writing down questions and giving no answers. Uh, then it was, where is your campus going to be? Because uh, that's how people in our circles think. Where's this campus going to be? You know, because uh, this must be some multi-site thing that you're going to know. Uh, we don't know where it's going to be. Uh, where, where are you going to have an office? Does CPC have an office for you? What, I mean, it was all of these types of pragmatic, practical questions that we were not prepared to deal with. 
And so it was a lot. Uh, the first two weeks after we announced that we were going to be leaving St. Andrews to go and plant this church were two of the most terrifying weeks of our entire lives. And what we learned was that beyond those questions, okay, there were actually suggestions being made. And we learned very quickly that once you are labeled as a church planter, there is no shortage of ecclesiastical experts excited to finally have someone to tell everything that's wrong with the church and what you should do to fix it. As I thought through it and considered how God was calling us to go now as His heralds into into Lexington, it was this passage. It was this passage in 1 Samuel that, that kept coming to mind. And that's largely because what the people were really trying to ask, and in a whole bunch of different ways, or Adam, how are you going to lead this church? And so what I want us to see today is that Samuel was a man who demonstrated, now at times flawed, and we, we would see that if we read through the entire book of 1 Samuel. He was flawed, but he demonstrated the type of godly leadership that we need in our own time. And the first place that we see that in this passage is verses 3 through 6. So look back at that with me real quick. First Samuel 7, let's look at 3 through 6. And Samuel said to all the house of Israel, If you are returning to the Lord with all your heart, then put away the foreign gods and the Ashtaroth from among you, and direct your heart to the Lord and serve Him only. And He will deliver you out of the hand of the Philistines. So the people of Israel put away the Baals and the Ashtaroth, and they served the Lord only. Then Samuel said, Gather all Israel at Mitzpah, and I will pray to the Lord for you. So they gathered at Mitzpah and drew water and poured it out before the Lord and fasted on that day and said there, We have sinned against the Lord, and Samuel judged the people of Israel at Mitzpah. So, okay, so stop. The first way here that we see Samuel leading, leading his people, leading God's people, was that he led them away from idolatry and into repentance. We see that in verses 3 and 4. He told them to put away the foreign gods and the Ashtaroth from among you. And now, another translation of this says, get rid of, to get rid of the gods and the Ashtaroth that are among you. These are the substantive things. Like the real tangible things that have taken root among God's people. They have allowed their hearts to be drawn away from the Lord. That's why Samuel phrases it the way he does. Did you catch that? He says, if, he says, if you are returning to the Lord with all your heart, if this is happening, if this is really happening, then you need to get rid of, you need to put away the foreign gods that are among you that are present even now. You, you see him pressing beyond just a mere emotional response. I, I don't want to speak for everyone. I always hesitate to do this, but, but I, I have a tendency to do that. I have the tendency to allow my repentance to land at, I'm sorry and I hope I never do this again. I'm sorry and, I'll, and God, if you will help me, then I'll never fall into that sin. I'll never succumb to that temptation. If you will just do your part, then I'll be, I'll, I'll be on my best behavior. I believe many of us tend to do that. We have the tendency to, to allow, to feel the emotional tension of our sin, to feel the pain of, of, of grieving the heart of God. And then we allow it to, to just terminate there. We allow the raw emotion to win the day, and then we fail to take any actual steps to prevent that sin from rising up in the future. 
Dale Ralph Davis uh, says that Samuel is warning them and, and guarding them against what he calls frothy repentance. And, and what he means by it is that surface level repentance. I'm, I'm, not a, I'm not a coffee drinker, and so I guess that makes me a bit of an evangelical anomaly. Um, my children just the other day were educating me on, on the subtle nuances of ordering uh, a tall versus a, a uh, venti versus a whatever else beverage from Starbucks. My wife suggested they have this delicious strawberry drink, and I have just enough pride that I'm not buying that. So um, <laughs> not going to be that guy. As you get your masculine black coffee, I'm going to can I have the fruitiest thing you've got, please. No, I just I can't. Um, but every time I go into that place, I feel like I need, in, in a lot of ways, to take another language course just to not feel stupid at the desk. The good news for me is that they always understand water. I'll, I'll just take water, and they say, well, that's a $3 bottle you can have right there. Um, this is what I do know. I, I do know this much about the beverage that I don't like. I, I know that the froth is what's on the top, that that's the fluffy stuff, okay? That's the, that's the whipped cream dollop that it takes to make it taste okay. Um, uh, but it's not the substance. It's not the real thing. You see, Samuel here is warning the people that, that not to let it land there. He, he sees something in them. And, and, and this is what I love about him. You see a pastor's heart. He sees something in them. He, he sees and he hears words of repentance coming from them. But he knows that that's not enough. He, he, because empty words without substance are just the froth. And so he's calling them away from idolatry. He's calling them away from idolatry and into true repentance, substantive repentance, and at times painful, painful repentance. And we need to hear this today. We do. What steps are we prepared to take? What steps are you and I prepared to take in order to make it more difficult for us to chase after the idols of our hearts? Are we prepared to... Like, are we prepared to cancel our, our cable subscriptions if we are finding our hearts drawn too deeply to the trappings of the 24-hour news cycle? Are we, are we willing to give up on certain beverages despite all of our liberty? Are we prepared to give up on certain beverages if they make our hearts a little too glad a little too often? Are we willing to delete the apps from our phones that rob us, that rob us of time that could and should be spent spending time with our families, training up our kids, and seeking after the things of God's kingdom. Just a few weeks ago, I had a conversation uh, with someone who was, who was really being deeply affected by social media. Uh, they, they were, the, the way I would describe it is they were seeing these beautiful pictures of beautiful people and beautiful places doing incredible things. And it was just overwhelming. It was just at the beginning of summer season. So people are jetting off into all the different places around the world. And they're seeing all this. It's weighing heavily on them. And they're failing to see the beauty around them because they're buying into the false realities of these images they're looking at on their phone. So I just simply asked this person, would you be willing to just delete that app from your phone? I mean, can you just delete the gateway for that tension? Just, and they did. Um, they, they did. And, and, and then three days later, 
they put it back on there, and they called me in pain and suffering, going, I don't understand what's wrong. And Did you put it back on there? You know. That's frothy repentance. You see, much like that whipped cream on top of your tall, venti mocha, whatever, that, that is, it's not good for you. Like, it's actually toxic. It's actually killing you. And our hearts are prone for whatever reason. Our, prone, our hearts are prone to running back to, to chasing after those things, even the things that we know are destroying us. G.K. Beale says that, that what we revere, we resemble. And he says it's for either two purposes. It's either for ruin or it is for restoration. What we revere, we resemble either for ruin or for restoration. And for some reason, our hearts seem determined to destroy us. And so Samuel's leading his people. He's leading them away from idolatry. He's leading them away from what they have come to hold too tightly in their hearts. And here's the beautiful thing. The people are following. Look back at verse 4. In verse 4, we're told that they, that they actually put away the Baals and the Ashtaroth, and they served the Lord only. You see, they're turning from those things. And more than just turning from the idols, they're turning to the Lord, because that's, that's true repentance. It is impossible to turn away from one thing and to nothing. It, it never works that way. And so what we see here is they're turning away from idolatry, they're turning away from these idols, and they're turning to the Lord. And then they're openly confessing, as they're praising and fasting, they're openly confessing that we have sinned against the Lord. This is substantive. This is real. This is below the surface. And that's what we see Paul teaching in Romans 12 when we're told, do not be conformed, right? Do not be conformed to, to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your, of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. We, we need to hear that. Samuel's message preaches just as effectively today. We, because nobody comes to faith from a neutral position. Nobody does. God did not save you out of okay. He saved you out, well, He saved you out of condemnation, right? And you're good Reformed Presbyterians. You know this. He didn't save you out of, out of nothingness. He saved you out of despair, death. He saved you out of condemnation. We were dead in our trespasses and sins, right? Those are things that we used to walk in, actively walk in. Sometimes we forget that. But we have to remember. And we have to echo Romans 5, 8, where we're told that, that God shows His love for us and that while we were still sinners... While you were still sinners, Christ died for us. You see, we were alienated from God. That's Colossians 1. This is per perpetually in the Scripture. We don't have to make it up. And so he says, don't be conformed to this world. Don't follow the cultural idols of our day. Because in the end, if you do, you will be found wanting. And so that's one mark of Samuel's leadership. He led them away from idolatry and into repentance. Now look back at 7 through 11 one more time. Now when the Philistines heard that the people of Israel had gathered at Mitzpah, the lords of the Philistines went up against Israel. And when the people of Israel heard of it, they were afraid of the Philistines. And the people of Israel said to Samuel, Do not cease to cry out to the Lord our God for us, that He may save us from the hand of the Philistines. So Samuel took a nursing lamb and offered it as a whole burnt offering to the Lord. And Samuel cried out to the Lord for Israel, and the Lord answered him. As Samuel was offering up the burnt offering, the Philistines drew near to attack Israel, but the Lord thundered. But the Lord thundered with a mighty sound that day against the Philistines and threw them into confusion, and they were defeated before Israel. 
And the men of Israel went out from Mitzpah and pursued the Philistines and struck them as far as below Bethkar. Okay, okay, so, so not only did Samuel lead the people away from idols and into repentance, he also led them in, in the direction of, he led them toward renewed faithfulness. And this, and this is a faithfulness that's not a faithfulness with his head up in the clouds, okay? This is a faith in the face of real adversity, The Philistines have heard that Israel had gathered at Mitzpah for them. That's a strategic possibility. If they're all gathered there, let's just go and attack. Okay, just keep that in mind that the enemies of God are not just just wild animals. They are strategic. They are out to get you. They actively seek to destroy. And and things did not ordinarily go well when the Philistines invaded. You see, not too long before this, if we were to go back to chapter 5... You would see that the Philistines there captured the Ark of God, which had been the mega weapon. Okay, that was the Moab of their time. If you had that thing, that meant you were going to win the battle. So Israel would fight a little bit. It would not go well. They'd go and get the Ark. They'd bring it to the field and they'd win the battle. But in that case, it didn't go that way. The Philistines captured the Ark. And then they took it and they set it up. Uh, if, if you read this, they set it up at the foot of, of their own god, Dagon. They set it up in the temple for him, and then every morning they'd wake up and Dagon would have fallen over as if prostrate before the ark. And eventually they figured it out when they started coming up with all these tumors and stuff that having this thing probably wasn't safe for them. And so Israel didn't recapture it so much as they just took it back from them when they had had enough. If you call that story at all, you know that it was God who won and not his people. And so here in verse 8, they see that the Philistines are coming, that this attack is coming. And so they tell Samuel, look, look at that, look at 8 again, do not cease to cry out to the Lord our God for us, that he may save us from the hand of the Philistines. You see, by all earthly standards, by all earthly standards, they are entirely outmatched. And they know it. You see, they understand their place as a nation in this world. And yet here, we see them crying out to God. Now, you, you might throw the flag and be like, well, of course they're crying out. They don't have any other option. They're about to get run over. The last time, even when they brought in their best weapon, it didn't work for them. So, of course, they're going to cry out to God. They have nothing else at this point to lean on. But I, I would just respond, isn't that our position anyway? I mean, isn't that exactly where we are today? We have... Listen, I... We have no control over the comings and goings of this world. I have no control over the, over the rising and the setting of the sun. I have no control over the wind and the rain. I've had to remind my son throughout the entire spring when South Carolina got a lot of rain and it just destroyed his soccer season. Okay, that every night as we're in bed, and he's going, how come we got rained out again? It's like, dude, I have no, daddy cannot do anything to affect that change. I am powerless to control the weather. We just have to build a dome out there somewhere, I guess, to play in. Um, and so we have been reminded as we have prayed every night that we are completely dependent on God for everything. We pray each night for His protection over our family. We pray for His protection over our home because, because honestly, He's the only one who can do that. And so Israel is in that place of realization. They are on their knees before the Lord because He alone is able. And so they respond, as all God's children do, when they come to the place of true understanding. What what did they do? They worshipped. 
Samuel offered a whole burnt offering. They're fasting. They're praising. Even as the Philistines are drawing near to, to attack, there's this idea that they're actually seeing them in the distance and in that moment, knowing they can't do anything else. They're praying and praising and fasting. They worshiped, poured out their hearts, confessed their insufficiency, and they leaned on the grace and the mercy of God in their hour of need. And so, how does God respond? Well, look at verse 10. Verse 10, we're told that the Lord thundered with a mighty sound that day against the Philistines and threw them into confusion, and they were defeated before Israel. Again, I'll say for me, I have a tendency to forget my own, to to forget my my true situation. Israel had tried this over over the years. They They had tried repeatedly. They had forgotten who they were and to whom it was that they belonged, and they tried to be the best new thing. And at the end of the day, through Samuel's leadership, they saw a demonstration of of, a very real dependence on the Lord. And that led to renewed faithfulness. Faithfulness with their feet on the ground. One of the great testimonies I always love to hear when people go on like a short-term mission trip or or something like that is how when everything else was removed, when, when everything familiar, when everything comfortable was stripped from them, that they were forced at that moment to, to just trust, to just trust in God's will for their lives in that moment. And that's a good thing. That's a good thing. Faithfulness must be demonstrated. It does not exist in abstraction. Faithfulness does not exist in a vacuum. And so Samuel led his people toward renewed faithfulness. Now look at 12 through 17. Then Samuel took a stone and set it up between Mitzpah and Shin and called its name Ebenezer, where he said, Till now the Lord has helped us. So the Philistines were subdued and did not again enter the territory of Israel. And the hand of the Lord was against the Philistines all the days of Samuel. The cities that the Philistines had taken from Israel were restored to Israel, from Ekron to Gath, and and Israel delivered their territory from the hand of the Philistines. There was peace also between Israel and the Amorites. Samuel judged Israel all the days of his life, and he went on a circuit year by year to Bethel, Gilgal, and Mitzpah, and he judged Israel in all these places. Then he would return to Ramah, for his home was there, and there also he judged Israel. And he built there an altar to the Lord. Samuel knew himself, and Samuel knew his people. He knew the propensity that they had to simply be forgetful. And so not only did he lead them away from idolatry and and into into repentance, and not only did he lead them into repentance, but into renewed faithfulness, he also called on them to remember. And so we see that in verse 12, that he set up an Ebenezer, a stone of help. And and, and we see also in verse 12 that he embarked on this yearly circuit, going going back around to the same places, preaching the same message year after year. You see, it's... It's to help them remember. It's to help them remember. It's to remind the people of what they had received from the Lord, not just at this moment, but in all the moments that had brought them to this point. He says, till now the Lord has helped us. How how forgetful are we sometimes? And see, that brings us to, to this room today. Remember how God had called Abraham 
Remember this? Remember how God had called Abraham? Abraham wasn't creative. God called him and sent him out. Abraham left what was familiar to him and went into the wild in search of of the land that God had promised to him. You, You think in the last few months as we've been thinking about this church plant, Abraham hadn't come to mind a couple of times? Leave your home, leave everything that you know, and go. I, I was at Chapin Prez not too long ago sharing with them, and, and when I mentioned that we were going off into Lexington, they all laughed. And I thought, is there some sort of Chapin-Lexington rivalry that I don't know about? Um, and then another couple got up and said that they were going to Dubai, and everybody was like, yeah! And I thought, huh. <laughs> what do you all know that I don't know? Um, there's just It's a big dam between. It's not that scary. Uh, except for the part when you're coming back from Lexington to Irmo, that's terrifying. That's, that's no man's land. If that thing breaks, you're dead. It's, just, it's game over. So we drive faster coming back home. Um, but, but that's been in my mind over the last few months is that God has shown His faithfulness to Abraham who by all accounts didn't deserve any of that. And remember how Moses had led the people out of Egypt? You remember that story? Remember how even before he, uh, God had guarded Moses from, from, the, from the murder of all the infant boys? Remember how God had parted the Red Sea and the people had walked through on dry land? You see, the entirety of the Bible, and I don't have time to go through the whole thing, but the entirety of the Bible for us is an Ebenezer. It is a stone of help for us today, reminding us, reminding you and I, and and CPC can can affirm this. We see it today, that till now the Lord has helped us. There's another translation that says, thus far the Lord has helped us, and I like that a lot, because this is a journey that you're on. Thus far the Lord has helped us, and we, we should be asking ourselves, what is it today that we are being called to remember? You see, in many ways the Lord has provided for us a new Ebenezer, You see, Christ is our stone of help. He is the proof to us that till now the Lord has helped us. We too were helpless like the Israelites. We were lost. We were hopeless wanderers being tossed to and fro by the waves of our contemporary context. At times beaten and broken by the world just like Israel. And it was into our world into our context that God sent His Son to come and to seek and to save, not that which was unimportant, but that which was precious and had been lost. And so now we look back to that place, to that moment. We look back to that Ebenezer. Because we too are prone to forget. We are prone to forget that our God is the one. That the, the one God, the, the living God, the, one who, the God who saves. And He doesn't save in a vacuum. He doesn't save in abstraction. He saves His people. He saves His children. Don't forget that. We need to remember that. We need to remember that now in Christ, neither death nor life, neither angels nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, right, nor depth, nor anything else in all of creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Our our youngest son... Uh, who's really into this right now, um, absolutely loves the song, Come Thou Fount of Every Blessing. It's his, it's his favorite one. We, we sing it together every night as we tuck him into bed. Uh, and, and he knows the words and will usually ask us to, to not sing so he can do it all by himself. Uh, and we respect that. Um, sometimes he calls us back in, like we, the door has been shut. 
You know, the process is, if you're a parent, you know this feeling of dread, that the door has already been shut and you've moved into the next room as quietly as possible. Uh, we even have the little sound machine in there so you can't hear anything going on. And so we've, we're out, but then you hear the cry, Mama, right, or, or Daddy, and he's, he's pretty aggressive. So it's like, Daddy, 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 he does not stop. Um, and so I'll walk back in there and, uh, and he'll, he'll, he'll ask for another song, which I, I have a limited ability to sing anything. And so I'll, I'll give him the second verse of, of Come Thou Fount. And I was struck by that even just last night, that even in my terror <laughs> that my son was going to refuse to go to sleep, God could speak to me. Here, here's, here's the second verse. It says this, Here I raise mine Ebenezer, hither by thy help I'm come, and I hope by thy good pleasure safely to arrive at home. Jesus sought me when a stranger Wandering from the fold of God, he to rescue me from danger interposed his precious blood. You know, at about 10 o'clock last night, those were good words to me. And he went to sleep, so that might be the magic song. Just file that away, parents. We need to remember that till now, till now, the Lord has helped us. And so we're continuing to pray for CPC that even in the next few months as a lot of transition takes place and change and develop and more chairs and seats and all that good stuff, that you'll remember and never forget that it was God who led you through the wilderness. It was God who parted the sea. It's God who builds His church because till now, the Lord has helped us. Let, let me pray for us. Heavenly Father, I do thank You for this day. I thank you that you are faithful when we are faithless. I thank you that you are courageous when we are weak and hiding. I thank you that you are the God who will thunder from on high. That you will cause the enemies to fall. We thank you that one day every knee will bow and that every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. And so we ask you even now to come back. Come back. We pray that in Jesus' name. Amen.